right, so this is chapter 27 from ACSM Sports Medicine Comprehensive Review. Um, part of the board review series by myself. Um, this is titled Cardiovascular Considerations. So first in the introduction, exercise is clearly associated with improved cardiovascular health. In addition to a direct conditioning effect, physical activity is critical in the management and prevention of several chronic medical conditions that impact overall health. However, vigorous exercise also can be a trigger for sudden cardiac arrest in individuals with underlying cardiovascular disease. Sudden death in athletes is most often attributable to a cardiovascular disorder. Sudden cardiac death represents 75% of fatalities in NCAA athletes during training or competition, more than deaths related to blunt trauma, heat stroke, and sickle cell trait combined. High index of suspicion must be maintained during screening to detect conditions associated with sudden death, including appropriate individual assessments as well as reasonable measures to evaluate large populations. When a serious cardiovascular condition is identified, appropriate treatment and activity modification may decrease the risk of sudden death. So, what are the cardiovascular benefits of exercise? The lack of regular physical activity has clearly been associated with an increase in coronary heart disease and the incidence of adverse cardiac events. Multiple studies have confirmed the benefit of aerobic exercise with a reduction in the number of cardiac events and a reduction in mortality. Although there's an increased risk for adverse cardiac events during activity, there's overwhelming evidence that the net benefits of consistent and regular physical exercise outweigh these risks in primary prevention of cardiovascular disease. <clears throat> so the athletic heart syndrome. Vigorous athletic training is associated with specific physiologic and structural cardiovascular changes, so-called athletic heart syndrome. These changes represent normal adaptations to physical conditioning. Studies demonstrate a constellation of morphologic changes that vary depending on the type of training. So in endurance trained athletes, for example, a chronic volume overload results in an increase in both left ventricular end diastolic diameter and left ventricular wall thickness. This eccentric hypertrophy allows a start a larger stroke volume and thus a greater overall cardiac output at faster heart rates. Uh, biatrial enlargement and right ventricular dilation can also be seen. In strength trained athletes, however, they develop more a concentric hypertrophy with an increase in absolute and relative wall thickness without significant changes in end diastolic diameter. Right sided and atrial dimensions typically remain unchanged. It's important to remember that the adaptive, structural, and physiologic response of the normal athletic heart does not rule out the presence of an underlying pathologic condition. In fact, it makes the task of diagnosing that condition even more challenging for the primary care physician, sports medicine physician, and cardiologist. Criteria for distinguishing the characteristics of athletic heart syndrome from significant underlying pathology have been defined and in some circumstances may require detraining for two to three months to see what's going on. In benign cases, full resolution should be observed, whereas residual hypertrophic changes may suggest underlying concerns. So on the physical exam, heart rate of a well-conditioned athlete usually between 40 and 60 beats per minute, secondary to enhanced vagal tone, decreased sympathetic tone, so just the opposite, and then a larger stroke volume. Thus, sinus bradycardia is a common finding, and sinus arrhythmia may be more noticeable. The physiologic splitting of S2 
may be slightly delayed during inspiration due to the larger stroke volume. S3 may even be noted in endurance-trained athletes secondary to the increased rate of left ventricular filling associated with the relative left ventricular dilatation. Although an S4 may be noted in strength-trained athletes secondary to concentric hypertrophy, again, its presence always warrants a clinical evaluation. So even though it may be there and may be normal, got to work it up. Functional or flow murmurs characterized by a soft 1 to 2 over 6 ejection murmur often present when supine and diminished with standing or valsalva may be noted in 30 to 50% of athletes on careful exam. So, again, just to review, some common ECG findings in athletic heart syndrome. Got sinus bradycardia, first degree AV block, incomplete right bundle branch block, RVH, by voltage criteria, LVH by voltage criteria, early repolarization changes, tall peaked T waves, don't just think hyperkalemia, uh, QTC interval at the upper limit of normal, notched P waves, which is consistent with atrial hypertrophy, a wanky block AV block, or sinus arrhythmia. So again, electrocardiographic changes. Several EKG changes can be seen in well-conditioned athletes. In most cases, these changes are benign reflections of structural and functional changes. However, some findings are abnormal and may suggest underlying pathology. It can be challenging to distinguish adaptive versus pathologic changes in trained athletes, and modern ECG criteria should be used to do so. It's helpful in the initial evaluation of cardiac conditions, however, in athletes who present with cardiovascular symptoms and have abnormal findings on physical exam. The role of the ECG in the pre-participation screening of athletes is controversial. Opponents of ECG screening are concerned about false positive results, cost-effectiveness, unnecessary disqualification in athletes who are otherwise fine. Proponents of ECG screening recognize the sensitivity of a history and physical exam alone to detect potentially lethal cardiovascular disorders in athletes is very low, that the addition of an ECG greatly increase the sensitivity and can be accomplished with a low and acceptable false positive rate when performed by experienced physicians guided by modern ECG criteria. So, um, let's talk about sudden cardiac death in exercise. The overall risk of sudden death during exercise varies depending on age, gender, and sport. Estimates from studies in runners range from 1 to 15,000 joggers per year to 1 in 50,000 marathon participants per race. For high school and college-age athletes, the range is 1 to 45,000 to 1 to 160,000 per year, and sudden deaths occur disproportionately uh, more often in males, African-Americans, and basketball football players. Specific etiologies contributing to sudden cardiac death are strongly related to age. Um, so for sudden death in persons over age 35, more than 75% are associated with coronary artery disease. This association increases with age, consistent with the rising prevalence of atherosclerosis. In younger athletes, sudden cardiac death is most often the result of intrinsic structural or electrical abnormalities. So hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, the most common cause of sudden cardiac death, followed by coronary artery anomalies, myocarditis, and arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy, or ARVC. Other etiologies include genetic Conductive system abnormalities such as ion channel disorders or long QT syndrome, aortic rupture from Marfan syndrome, premature coronary artery disease, idiopathic left ventricular hypertrophy, substance abuse with cocaine or steroids, 
when you have aortic stenosis, like especially with a bicuspid valve, mitral valve prolapse, sickle cell trait, and blunt chest trauma or commotial cordis on that upbeak. This list reflects cases of sudden death in athletes over the past two decades in the U.S. It's important to note that the relative prevalence of many of these conditions is variable based on regional and ethnic differences. For example, ARVC is leading cause of sudden cardiac death in Italy. So, as far as the table, classification of abnormalities of the athlete's ECG. So, group one is common and training-related ECG changes. We've got things like sinus bradycardia, first-degree AV block, incomplete right bundle, early repolarization, and isolated QRS voltage criteria for left ventricular hypertrophy. And group two is more the uncommon and training unrelated ECG changes. So we got T-wave inversions, ST depression, pathologic Q-waves, left atrial enlargement, left axis deviation slash left anterior hemiblock, right axis deviation slash left posterior hemiblock, right ventricular hypertrophy, ventricular pre-excitation, complete left bundle or right bundle, longer short QT, and Brugada-like early repol. Screening for sudden death. The AHA Science and Advisory Committee published consensus guidelines for pre-participation in cardiovascular screening for high school and college athletes in 96 and reaffirmed their recommendations in 2007. Complete personal and family history and physical exam should be done for all athletes. should focus on identifying those cardiovascular conditions known to cause sudden death. The recommended interval for evaluation begins in middle school and is repeated every two years with an interim history between exams. Family history should include a specific inquiry for a family history of premature coronary artery disease, diabetes, hypertension, sudden death, syncope, death, or significant disability from cardiovascular disease in relatives younger than age 50, so specifically age 50, even more so, less than 35, or the presence of inherited cardiac disorders such as Hokum, ARVC, Marfan, and long QT. Personal and past history should include specific inquiries on the detection of a heart murmur, risk factors for CAD, such as diabetes, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, and smoking, and a history of syncope, near syncope, exercise intolerance, exertional chest pain, dyspnea, or fatigue. Physical exam should specifically address blood pressure, heart rhythm on exam, and heart auscultation, and the physical stigmata with Marfan. Specifically, eyes, flexibility, things of that nature. Cardiac auscultation should be performed in the supine and standing positions. And the classic murmur of obstructive hokum increases with maneuvers that decrease venous return, such as Valsalva or from squatting to standing. Uh, in contrast, the murmur of aortic stenosis intensifies with squatting and decreases with Valsalva, so those are opposite. Simultaneous radial and femoral artery pulses should be assessed to exclude coarctation of the aorta. Brachial blood pressure should be measured with the appropriate size cuff. Sitting position in the pediatric population, normal values should be adjusted for age, gender, and height. The use of ECG as a screening tool for conditions associated with sudden cardiac death continues to be the subject of much debate. An increasing number of governing bodies have endorsed the use of ECG screening for athletes, including the IOC, European Society for Sport Medicine, FIFA, and all major U.S. professional sports leagues. However, concerns remain as to the feasibility of widespread ECG screenings in younger or amateur populations. 
The normal adaptations of the athletic heart can make interpretation of ECG and echo problematic. False positive rates, high relative costs, limited availability, and low prevalence of disease have all been cited as concerns for using ECG as broad-based screening tool. However, the prevalence of occult cardiac conditions at risk for sudden death in young athletes is higher than once thought, consistently 0.2 to 0.7% in studies using ECG. In addition, integrated programs using ECG offer the only screening model shown to reliably identify athletes at risk for sudden cardiac death. The only evidence that such a program can reduce the rate of sudden death in athletes. Concern about excessively high abnormal results do not reflect more contemporary standards of ECG interpretation. Advancements in physician education and to our health system infrastructure are needed as this becomes more available. Exercise testing may be advisable prior to beginning an exercise program in older athletes with risk factors for CAD. See Chapter 12 for exercise prescription and 21 for exercise testing for further discussion and recommendations. Many conditions that cause sudden death in young athletes are familial. So hokum is autosomal dominant, a defect in sarcomere formation. Long QT is autosomal dominant and sodium channel defect. Marfan syndrome, autosomal dominant mutation of FBN1 fibrillin gene. Brugada syndrome, autosomal dominant SCN5A channelopathy. ARVC, autosomal dominant defect. Although genetic testing is not routinely recommended for screening, it may be helpful in the evaluation of athletes or family members when a relative is identified with an inheritable cardiac disease. So what are some of those features of Marfan syndrome on exam? So MSK, they're going to be taller, thin body habitus with an arm span to height ratio greater than 1.05. Think arachnodactyly, long, thin fingers able to wrap around... um, Opposite wrist and overlap thumb and small finger. They've got a pectus deformis like pectus carinatum or excavatum. High arched palate, kyphoscoliosis, and joint laxity. For their heart, cardiovascular, they usually have a systolic murmur consistent with mitral valve prolapse or a diastolic murmur with aortic regurge. And then uh, think eyes. They're going to have myopia, retinal detachment, or lens subluxation. So big things also, the 12-element AHA recommendations for pre-participation cardiovascular screening of competitive athletes. So assessing in their medical history, first personal history of exertional chest pain or discomfort, unexplained syncope or near syncope, excessive exertional and unexplained dyspnea or fatigue, prior recognition of a heart murmur, and elevated systemic blood pressure. In their family history, they may have premature death, before age 50 due to heart disease and greater than or equal to one relative, disability from heart disease in a close relative less than 50, and specific knowledge of certain cardiac conditions in the family members, like hokum, long QT, Marfan, etc. On exam, they may have a heart murmur, femoral arterial pulses to exclude aortic coric, physical stigmata of Marfan, and brachial blood pressure in the sitting position. Let's talk about syncope and exercise-associated collapse. Syncope is defined as a sudden loss of consciousness for a brief duration in the absence of head trauma. It occurs secondary to a sudden drop in cerebral blood flow or metabolic change. So, for example, hypoglycemia or hypoxemia. Athletes who present with history of exercise-related syncope require careful history and physical to differentiate benign from life-threatening etiologies. Um, exercise associated collapse refers to athletes who are unable to stand or walk unaided 
after exertion because of weakness, lightheadedness, faintness, or dizziness. Although exercise um, related syncope, although exercise related syncope and exercise associated collapse are not mutually exclusive, they demonstrate the spectrum of adverse events that can occur in the content, context of exercise. History in each case becomes critical in the eval and management, and the occurrence of collapse or syncope during exertion is ominous. So if it happens during exertion, that's much more scary, whereas those occurring immediately after are more often associated with benign. So let's review some clinical cues or clues to common etiologies with exertional syncope. So first, um, say it has noxious stimulus, prolonged upright position with a normal ECG that's most, more likely a neurocardiogenic syncope and suggested diagnostic testing is exercise testing. Next one, clinical clues being palpitations and a response to carotid sinus pressure. Uh, ECG shows pre-excitation. It's more consistent with supraventricular tachyarrhythmias and suggests electrophysiologic study and definitive therapy. Next, um, say a patient has a grade 3 out of 6 systolic murmur that gets louder with Valsalva and louder with squatting to standing. On ECG, they have deep inverted T waves, Q waves, pseudo-infarction pattern, and left ventricular hypertrophy with strain. You're going to be thinking hokum and um, should get an echo with Doppler and consider a cardiac MRI. Next one, patient has prior upper respiratory tract infection, pneumonia, exertional fatigue, shortness of breath, and rec or recreational drug use. On ECG, they have simulating a myocardial infarction with ectopy. You should be thinking myocarditis. You may consider viral studies, echo, and drug screening. Next one, somebody has exertional syncope, grade 3 out of 6 harsh systolic crescendo and decrescendo murmur, um, and signs of left ventricular hypertrophy on ECG. You should be thinking aortic stenosis and get an echo with Doppler. Patient also has a thumping heart. For the next one, patient has a thumping heart, mid-systolic click with or without a murmur. Their ECG is normal. You should be thinking mitral valve prolapse and get an echo with Doppler. Or a patient with recurrent syncope with a family history of sudden death and prolonged corrected QT interval on ECG. Greater than 0.47 for males and 0.48 for females. Should be, of course, thinking prolonged QT. And um, obtain further family history and exercise stress with ECG after exercise. <clears throat> Don't give them Zofran. Um, Next patient has syncope and exertional chest pain, but a normal resting ECG. Think coronary anomalies, so they should get a cardiac MRI or CT angio. Um, next, somebody presents with acute coronary syndromes, ACS, chest pain in the ED, admitted. Um, assess their family history and ECG shows ischemia, or it may be normal. So it's likely more of an acquired coronary artery disease should get some exercise testing with or without perfusion or contractile imaging. And the last one, patient with syncope or tachyarrhythmias and have T-wave inversion on V1 to V3 with PVCs um, with left bundle branch configuration. You're going to be thinking ARVC and should get an echo with Doppler study, cardiac MRI. 
So, um, the presence of prodromal symptoms may help to identify specific conditions. Careful attention should be paid to any history of palpitations, um, like arrhythmias, chest pain for ischemia or dissection, nausea for ischemia or vagal activity, wheezing or pruritus, suggestive anaphylaxis. Patients who suffer vasovagal reflex syncope often experience brief prodromal symptoms such as lightheadedness, tunnel vision, diaphoresis, and nausea. In contrast, abrupt syncope is concerning for a ventricular arrhythmia. Something that soccer player in Euro Cup. A detailed physical exam should include a careful assessment of orthostatic vital signs, precordial auscultation attentive to the murmurs of hokum and aortic stenosis, and a careful search for any morphological features of Marfan syndrome. ECG should be obtained in all cases and should be evaluated closely for conditions that predispose to sudden death. This includes careful ECG assessment of rate, rhythm, QT interval, repolarization abnormalities, so T-wave inversion, ST depression, those would most likely be seen, um, left or right ventricular hypertrophy, pre-excitation pattern, and complications of ischemic heart disease, or Q-waves. Initial blood test and additional ancillary evaluation should be directed by clinical suspicion based on the history and physical. In case where no clear non-cardiac cause is identified, recommend an echo and stress testing being completed. Advanced cardiac imaging, including cardiac MRI and coronary CT angio, may be advisable in cases of suspected cardiac etiology when the preceding evaluation has been non-diagnostic. These advanced imaging modalities provide detailed morphologic assessments to further evaluate for cardiomyopathy or C coronary artery anomalies. Here's a suggested algorithm for workout. So at the top, you got exercise-related syncope in the athlete. First, you got to get history, physical exam, ECG, and lab evaluation. Um, if after all that it appears diagnostic or strongly suggestive, you're going to want to think, is this non-life-threatening or is this potentially life-threatening? If you go down the potentially life-threatening path, you're going to restrict them from play. Um, and if it's down the non-life-threatening, you can treat, evaluate, or refer as indicated and return to play as indicated. Um, across the other side, if it's unexplained, you are going to restrict them from play because you don't know what's going on and get an echo and a stress test. If it's diagnostic, yes, you're going to treat, evaluate, or refer, or return to play as indicated. And you may actually also restrict from play. Um, if it is non-diagnostic, you're going to look for some reassuring clinical features. So do they have post-exertional syncope, single episode, negative family history, normal cardiac exam, normal ECG, echo, and stress test? If all those are yes, then you should get some reassurance and return to play when the individualized follow-up plan is done. If not, you're going to want to consider advanced cardiac imaging and send them also down the restrict from play area. So times when you're going to restrict from play, if you have potentially life-threatening issues, if they have non-life-threatening but you're working it up and can't quite find the reason or if just in general they don't have reassuring clinical features and you don't know what's going on so while you're restricting from play you're going to refer to a cardiologist or the appropriate specialist all right last big section for this chapter 
hypertension in athletes. So systemic hypertension remains one of the most common cardiovascular disorders in the U.S. and affects athletes of all ages and sports. Diagnosis workup and initial non-farm approach to treatment does not differ between athletes and non-athletes, so still treat them and work them up the same. It's consistent with current recommendations. Care must be taken not to over-diagnose the condition in young athletes and to use proper fitting cuffs, three different measures on three different days, adjusting for norms for age, gender, and height. So remember the threes. Updated blood pressure tables are published by the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute. They're an appropriate search for secondary etiologies and assessment for target end organ damage should guide the history, physical, lab evaluation, and ancillary testing. Let's pick them up, especially when they're younger. History should inquire about substances that may affect blood pressure. So NSAIDs, stimulants, anabolic steroids, testing should for suspected hypertension after three positives it should include ECG you should get a UA, a CBC um, electrolytes, fasting glucose lipid profile, BUN and creatinine, so basically CBC, CMP, a UA and an EKG all athletes with stage 1 or 2 hypertension should have an echo evaluating for target organ disease an echo could also be considered in athletes with abnormal ECG findings. So non-pharmacologic treatment should be started, including engagement in moderate physical activity, maintenance of ideal body weight, limitation of alcohol, a reduction in sodium intake, and maintenance of adequate potassium intake, as well as consumption of diet high in fruits and veggies and low in total and saturated fat. When indicated, pharmacologic treatment should be initiated. Generally, ACE inhibitors, calcium channel blockers, and ARBs are excellent choices for athletes with hypertension. Their low side effect profile, favorable physiologic hemodynamics make them generally safe and effective. It's preferable to avoid diuretics and beta blockers in young athletes. Uh, volume and potassium balance issues limit diuretic use, and beta blockers adversely impact maximum cardiovascular performance. Additional care must be um, taken in prescribing antihypertensives in elite athletes because some may be prohibited, such as some diuretics and beta blockers. Restriction of activity for athletes with hypertension depends on the degree of target organ damage and on the overall control of blood pressure. Presence of mild to moderate hypertension, so stage 1, without target organ damage or concomitant heart disease should not limit eligibility for competitive sports. Athletes with severe hypertension should be restricted, so stage 2 should be restricted, particularly from static sports, until their hypertension is controlled. When hypertension coexists with other cardiovascular diseases, eligibility for competitive sports, usually based on severity of the other associated condition. In children and adolescents, the presence of severe hypertension, so stage 2, or target organ disease warrants restriction until it's under adequate control. Presence of mild to moderate, stage one, should not limit their eligibility for competitive athletics. <clears throat> so, table for classification of hypertension in children and adolescents. So normal, they have a SBP or DBP less than 90th percentile. Um, no main thing as far as frequency of blood pressure measurement. Encourage healthy diet, sleep, and activity. Prehypertension is classified from 90th to less than the 95th uh, percentile. 
or if blood pressure exceeds 120 over 80, even if less than 90th percentile up to less than 95th percentile. And you're going to want to recheck it in six months if that's, if that's found. Um, in the meantime, do non-pharmacologic treatment. Um, yeah. And then stage one hypertension is 95th to 99th percentile plus five millimeters of mercury. You're going to want to, if you find that, recheck in one to two weeks or sooner if they're symptomatic. If it's persistently elevated on two additional occasions, evaluate or refer to source of care within one month. So either cards, NEF, or work it up yourself. You're going to want to treat um, with lifestyle changes as well as likely medicinal changes. And stage two is greater than 99th percentile. Um, plus five millimeters mercury. So evaluate or refer within one week or immediately if they're symptomatic. And you're going to want to initiate all therapy. So next section, coronary artery disease in athletes. Individuals diagnosed with CAD require careful risk stratification prior to continuing or initiating exercise. Such an evaluation may require procedures for left ventricular assessment, max maximal treadmill testing to determine functional capacity and stress testing for inducible ischemia. They should be tested on their medications if possible. So the 36th Bethesda Conference defines clear stratification criteria accompanied by activity recommendations. It provides a general and conservative approach to the individual in regards to competitive sports. So, Table 27.7, Stratification Categories for CAD Patients by 36 Bethesda Conference. So, they have mildly increased risk with the following. If they have a left ventricular elevated uh, ejection fraction of greater than 50%, normal exercise tolerance for age, so greater than 10 mets, age less than 50, 9, 50 to 59, 8 mets, 60 to 69, 7 mets, age greater than 70. Also mildly increased risk if they have absence of exercise-induced ischemia and exercise-induced or post-exercise complex ventricular arrhythmias, absence of hemodynamically significant stenosis, and any major coronary artery by angio or successful myocardial revascularization by surgical or percutaneous techniques if such revascularization was performed. They have substantially increased risk if they have impaired left ventricular systolic function at rest, so less than 50% of EF, Evidence of exercise-induced myocardial ischemia or complex ventricular arrhythmias. Hemodynamically significant stenosis. General regard is 50% or more luminal diameter narrowing. <clears throat> and here's some more recommendations. Athletes in the mildly increased risk group can participate in low dynamic and low slash moderate static competitive sports, but should avoid intensely competitive situations. Selected athletes with mildly increased risk may be permitted to compete in sports of higher levels of intensity when their overall clinical profile suggests very low exercise risk. All athletes should understand that risk of cardiac event with exertion is probably increased once coronary atherosclerosis of any severity is present. Athletes with mildly increased risk engaging in competitive sports should undergo reevaluation of their stratification annually. Athletes in the substantially increased risk category should generally be restricted to low-intensity competitive sports. Athletes should be informed of the nature of prodromal symptoms. 
chest, arm, jaw, shoulder discomfort, etc. Those with a recent MI or myocardial revascularization should cease their athletic training and competition until recovery is deemed complete. And all athletes with atherosclerotic CAD should have their atherosclerotic risk factors aggressively treated. Um, finally, last section of this chapter. This is a long one. Arrhythmias in athletes. So lethal cardiac arrhythmias represent the most serious risk for sudden death in athletes. Symptoms of a potential um, ventricular arrhythmia may include syncope, near syncope, palpitations, exertional chest discomfort, severe dyspnea, or uncommon exertional fatigue. Structural heart disease must be ruled out before the athlete is allowed to return to sports. You better get an echo. This will include a meticulous history, physical, ECG, and in many circumstances, an echo, stress tests, and possibly advanced cardiac imaging. These investigations should be pursued in conjunction with appropriate specialty consultation. Various supraventricular arrhythmias may be compatible with competitive sports once they are diagnosed and controlled. Task Force 7 of the 36th Bethesda Conference offers explicit details as to the recommended evaluations and allowed return-to-play recommendations for most encountered arrhythmias. Committee on Sports Medicine and Fitness for the American Academy of Pediatrics specifically recommends that the presence of a symptomatic dysrhythmia requires exclusion from activity until the athlete's problem can be adequately evaluated by a cardiologist and controlled. And that is the end of this chapter.